On this week's Confabulation, the podcast, we bring you a story and interview with storyteller, performer, comedian, improviser, writer, Jeff Gandell, who's based here in Montreal. Just last May, uh, we recorded this entire interview, and we didn't get a chance to release it before Jeff premiered his brand new show, The Balding, at the Cinema's Montreal Fringe Festival. But it only seems appropriate to release it this week as he's remounting the balding at Mainline Theatre here in Montreal this coming week. You can get more information at yarnproductions.com or, of course, at mainlinetheatre.ca. So without further ado, here's this week's podcast with Matt Goldberg and Jeff Gandell. Welcome to Confabulation, the podcast. My name is Matt Goldberg. I'm the host, producer, curator, and general guy about town for confabulation uh if this is your first time listening to confabulation the podcast welcome if this is your first time hearing about confabulation also welcome uh confabulation is montreal's premier all true storytelling series uh, all the stories we feature on the live show are true stories as told by the peri- the people that experience them uh, and here on the podcast we try to get a taste of that uh highlighting individual stories and uh talking to some of the storytellers uh today on the show we've got uh jeff gandell uh, Jeff is a, uh, a storyteller, a comedian here in Montreal. Uh, he also uh, produces and runs his own storytelling show, Yarn, which is a comedic storytelling show. Uh, Confabulation can be funny too, but Yarn explores not just the true life stories, but also original stories, improvised stories, and all manners of stories. Uh, we're going to be talking to him about Yarn, about the balding, and storytelling in general. But first, let's, uh, let's hear his story from Confabulation Presents Trilogies, uh, Stories of Threes. My grade point average was plummeting. I wasn't doing any writing. I became consumed by my own image, checking out my receding hairline and every reflective surface I could find. Car windows, storefronts, aluminum foil. (laughs) Looking into a mirror was like looking into a before and after photograph. I saw two different versions of myself, me with hair, me without, transposed over each other like tracing paper, one of those glitzy holograms that shows different images depending on how you let the light reflect off them. My friends didn't look me in the eyes anymore. (laughs) Sitting in bars with Lisa, her her eyes would inevitably rise upward toward my hairline. Whenever I asked her if she was looking at it, she said, no, what? What are you talking about? (laughs) But you can't blame your friends. A newly receding hairline is impossible to not stare at, like a set of breasts. (laughs) I was losing whatever tenuous link I had left to reality. Uh, The skunk incident had been just the beginning. Over the course of the next couple weeks, I'd be responsible for three more acts that brought hellfire down on my parents' expensive possessions. I was turning into an insurance company's wet dream. (laughs) New Year's 1999. I was on my way to a party at a frat house at McGill. I was very excited by this prospect. The frat house smacked of drunken mistakes. Miraculously, a a few months after the skunk incident, my parents trusted me alone in the house again. They were driving home from Florida and were due back the next afternoon. Meanwhile, I had somewhere to bring these drunken mistakes back to. (laughs) On the way out of the house, I turned on the kitchen tap for a glass of water. Nothing came out. I tried the laundry room tap. Same nothing. The pipes were frozen. This had happened before. At this point, everything was under control. It wasn't my fault. It was an act of nature. Blow dry them for 20 minutes, my mother said from the car phone. They should come back. Uh, The water should come back. Meanwhile, don't leave until the water's back the blow dryer. When I was 15, I used to blow dry, my, uh, blow dry and hairspray my hair every day into some kind of modest pompadour. I thought everybody blow dried and hairsprayed their hair every day. My mother did. 
Now I shudder to think of the abuse I perpetrated on my young hairline and wondered if it was one of the reasons why my hair had begun to fall out. I picked up the blow dryer gingerly like a retired sheriff picking up a gun after a five-year hiatus. It still fit. I sat on the cold kitchen tiles and blow dried the pipes. After 20 minutes, the water still wasn't back. It was almost 11. The thought of ringing in the new year alone terrified me. What difference did it make if I was here when the water came back? No matter how hard I thought about it, and I didn't think about it very hard, <laughs> I couldn't see any reason why I shouldn't go to the damn frat party already. I stumbled home at 8 a.m. alone with no drunken mistakes in tow. I came in through the garage, and walking into the basement, I felt the always unpleasant sensation of moisture at the bottom of my sock. At first, I thought some snow had gotten into my shoes. Then I noticed that the carpet was wet. Why was the carpet wet? I looked up and saw water dripping from the ceiling. My mother's words rang in my ear. I ran upstairs and saw that the laundry room tap was on full blast. I had turned it on before I left to see if the water was back and forgotten to close it. So that's why I wasn't supposed to leave until the water was back. Right. That makes sense. <laughs> my basement floor was covered in two inches of water. I rescued as many things from it as I could, but I was fighting a losing battle. With a few hours left until my parents got home, I lay down on my waterbed. <laughs> Couldn't get away from water. When my parents got home, there'd be a lot of yelling and a lot of, uh, what the hell is wrong with you? And there is something seriously wrong with you. <laughs> but I didn't need my parents' reprimands to make me feel worthless. I was destroying everything I touched. The curse of my hair loss was becoming more powerful and more dangerous. The basement needed to be completely gutted. We had to get new everything. And the worst part was, all I'd had to do was listen to my mom. My parents were trying to make it easy on me, but I wasn't making it easy for them to make it easy for me. <laughs> they quickly forgave me, but there was a look of disappointment in their eyes that they just could not hide. A couple of weeks later, I was driving to the beef tech with Lisa and my friend Dave Green in the back seat. Green had begun to tag along more and more on my nights out with Lisa, and I resented him for it. My relationship with Lisa existed mostly in my head, and it became impossible to convince myself that we were secretly in love when Green was there. <laughs> Plus, I suspected she'd been making out with him as well. It was a mess. Lisa was sitting in the front, and Green was in the back. No small victory. There was good drum and bass coming out of the stereo. I turned the music up, hoping to create a private front seat world that the insignificant back seat people couldn't access. I was asserting my alpha dominance through the volume knob on my Integra's tape deck. For a while, it worked. We drove along, Lisa laughing at the off-the-cuff comments I had so carefully rehearsed beforehand. The city slushed by in a twinkling blur. While driving, my eyes darted up to the rear view and back at the road. I'd recently developed this habit of checking out my hair in the rearview mirror. At first, it was just while parked, then at red lights, pretty soon at stop signs, uh, before long sitting in traffic, finally, inevitably, while moving. It was a dangerous game of escalating narcissism, and there was only one way it could end. The most shocking thing about a car accident is the sound. Metal on metal produces a deafening bang and a violent jerk forward, and it's like waking up in a hotel for that one split second. You don't know where you are or what the hell just happened. <laughs> I had rear-ended a parked truck as I'd been checking out my receding hairline, and the rearview mirror was what happened. We stepped out into the cold winter night to survey the, da the damages. The truck was all right. The front of my Integra was completely smashed. That looks bad, Green said. It was slippery, I said, apropos of nothing. Lisa looped her arm through mine. Sorry, Jeff, she said. 
We got back in and continued to the bar. We didn't know what else to do. The car still worked. <laughs> the beef tech was the usual smoky din of laughter, talking, and loud rock and roll. The popcorn was salty and the beer was cheap. And my car was parked outside, smashed. My friends tried to console me, but all I could think about was my dad yelling at me the next day. I considered the possibility that my hair loss might just end up killing me after all. <laughs> I was woken up at 6 a.m. by my dad kicking the door in and asking what the fuck had happened to the goddamn car. <laughs> I cowered under the covers. That's it, he said. We're selling the goddamn car. He screamed at me for a few more minutes before leaving to go to work. He calmed down a bit when I called the insurance later that morning. They came to pick up the car and even left me with a loaner, a Ford something or other. There was $2,000 worth of damage on my car. It was a lot, but I had initiated the process of getting the car fixed. I suppose my parents had set the bar so low on what I was capable of on that point that that was enough to get them on my side again. <laughs> a couple of days passed and things returned to normal. My dad didn't mention selling the car again. I had rear-ended the park truck on a Tuesday, and on Friday morning I got into the loaner, turned on the engine, and saw that the driver's side window was completely frosted. This happens in the winter. You have to turn the heating up full blast and wait like 10 minutes for it to defrost. But I was late for class. No matter how hard I thought about it, and I didn't think about it very hard, <laughs> I couldn't see the danger in pulling out with a frosted driver's side window. I put Ronnie Size's new forms in the tape deck and turned the volume way up. I pulled out of my parking spot, essentially deaf and blind to one side. The end of my street is it was a three-way stop sign intersection. I couldn't see the traffic coming from my left, so I let one car pass by in either direction. This way I could be sure it was my turn. Who needed to see? I had figured out a system. <laughs> the most shocking thing about a car accident is the sound. Metal on metal produces a deafening bang and a violent jerk forward, and it's like waking up in a hotel. You don't know where you are or what the hell just happened. I had sideswiped an ambulance on its way to the hospital was what happened. My system hadn't accounted for ambulances, the black swans of traffic regularity. The driver got out and looked at me, bewildered. Do you not get it, he said? The lights, the sirens? I am an idiot, I said. He told me to wait for him at the nearest police station to fill out the accident report. Meanwhile, he had to shuttle his sick or dying cargo to the emergency room. You know, work. I waited in my car outside the police station. It was one of those gray midwinter mornings where it feels like winter is a permanent condition rather than a temporary affliction. The ambulance was taking long, but I, I didn't mind. I was already late for class and was in no hurry. I couldn't imagine facing my parents. I thought of firing up the engine and hightailing it, just me and the loner, all the way to Mexico. <laughs> Every move I made suggested I was doomed. I had absolutely nothing to look forward to. I looked up at myself in the rear view. It had been a year since I first discovered clumps of hair at the bottom of my shower, and it was beginning to show. I twisted my neck this way and that, using the tips of my fingers to swish patches of hair over bare spots. Whenever I'd covered one, another one would appear. It was like trying to get a lump out of a made bed. Snow began to fall outside my driver's side window, which by now was completely clear. <laughs> Thank you. It's a lot to live up to. Paula Flalo is the meanest producer in town. His t-shirt is intimidating me. <laughs> Move from here. <laughs> okay.
Oh, wait, hey, hey, I was about to start when you ruined it. Jesus. I think I was telling him we were having another baby again. <laughs> <laughs> Thinks he can talk on my butt. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. That was a fun way to tell me. It was great. I told him on a podcast. Oh, really? Producing. Wait, we should just... Okay. We're still recording? Oh, yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Welcome back. Well, uh, Jeff, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. We should say that we're here on Jeff's balcony here in somewhere Montreal. Some region of Montreal. Yes, region uh, X. Region X of Montreal. Um, thank you for lending us your balcony. We're actually uh, going to be rehearsing your Fringe show in a little bit. Yeah. In the interest of full disclosure, I'm working with Jeff directing his Fringe show, The Balding. Uh, tell me a little bit about The Balding. What, uh, what got you wanting to do a Fringe show? Uh, what got me wanting to do a Fringe show? Well, I've been doing uh, storytelling performances for a while and I've and, uh, been running this monthly uh, event called Yarn. So I've been doing kind of 10-minute autobiographical humorous stories uh and i thought it would be a great awesome challenge to try and do a longer piece uh they've been going really well so i thought why don't i do an hour of this <laughs> <laughs> so we should say the part the the story we just listened to the three accidents uh those that is part of the show yeah that's part of the balding so at what point did you know that that was what you wanted to do was it when you because i know uh, you were in confabulation two Mays ago yeah and told another part of the story yeah well at that at that point last year uh, I, I had no idea that I was I had an inkling that I maybe wanted to do a fringe show mm. in a year from then uh, I didn't know what, what it was going to be about mm. um, the story like of what it was actually going to be probably I came up with in January over winter break I originally had a different idea for the Fringe oh, yeah? show. Yeah, because I had started a blog uh, called Testifiles, the Testifiles, where I was just writing about embarrassing things. That I know it sounds dirty, Testifiles, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as it's not as exciting as it sounds like. <laughs> um, where I was writing kind of stories about embarrassing moments from my life and things that I, that I had done. So um, my original idea for the show was something called Make Jeff Gandal Apologize, where I'm just kind of on trial for crimes against the universe. <laughs> But that would have been a kind of a bunch of different stories put together. So I said, I want to do one story. It's really cool because it is a series of stories, but you put them together in a way that does feel like a sequence Mm -hmm. and uh, that does have that consistency I like to see when I I see a solo friend show. Um, So I'm glad you went that way. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Is there, uh, I mean, what is it about storytelling that uh, that appeals to you as a performer? Mm. Um, It's interesting because I don't, I don't know. I don't necessarily consider myself a natural storyteller. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, like if I just had to go and tell someone a story, like, like everybody, you know, you have a great story in your head and then you're like, I have this great story. And then you start telling it. And then the person you're telling it to is like, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So everything I do is, is written out. I write it and I memorize it and, and perform it. So it's, um, it's, it's an act of writing and, mm. and the memorizing it is part of the writing process mm-hmm. and part of the editing process. Um, so I really like writing and it's just a really great way to get my writing out to people, you know, cause writing is such a lonely affair, uh, that even if you publish something somewhere, is anyone going to read it maybe? And then you're, you can never ex- obviously be standing over their shoulder watching them reading it. Um, I feel like the pathos of your show just bleeds over to, <laughs> to all aspects of your life, man. It does, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's just, it's to be able to write something and get that immediate, you know, gratification, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and well, you, you can watch them. <laughs> watch them reading it and hearing it and, and seeing how they react to it and also knowing what works and what doesn't right away. 
you you are surprisingly candid in the show, and actually in all the stories I've heard you tell, yeah. you're, you're very candid. You're very open about details. Yeah. Uh, do you ever worry about the people that you're talking about finding out about this? I know you've changed the names of um, in your story. Yeah, absolutely. I do. Well, worry about it. I think about it definitely. I think mm-hmm. about it uh, all the time, and the people I know finding out about it, I'm not worried uh, about because. Like, there's some people who would recognize themselves, mm. but I think I've done a good enough job at changing their identity and details of who they are that they wouldn't be recognizable to anybody. Uh, of course, my goal would never be to kind of expose mm. people. Um, that's the last thing I'd want to do. So I think even if somebody recognized uh, him or herself, they wouldn't... I don't, I don't think they'd mind. Uh, and in fact, some of the people in the show I have... Uh, notified that I that I was writing this show and then that, that I would be using kind of stories r- involving them, but that I'd changed hmm. things in it. And we, we should say for people listening that there are details of uh, relationships that Jeff has mm-hmm. had and uh, people that he's had different kinds of interactions with, yeah. embarrassing stories about his parents, yeah, all kinds of joy like yeah, that. Yeah. Are you were you the kind of guy when you were younger that would tell these stories, or has this been a real coming out of these stories for you, a real chance to? Um, some of them I would, some of them. I mean, there, there's a few kind of story, like the story you just heard where I, where I, you know, get into these accidents and ruin these things. Uh, yeah, those were stories I would tell, especially the two car accidents in one week, just because it's, it's ridiculous, you know, but it's, it's years pass and these kind of painful things become funny and become (laughs) just the material for conversation. So, oh, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, they, they, a lot of these are stories that I, that I told to, you know, just to friends. So let's talk a little bit. I mean, this, the show sounds great. Let's talk a little bit about yarn as well. Okay. What was um, what got you started with yarn? Um, well, because I like telling stories, I like doing storytelling performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I just wanted more avenues and more venues for myself to perform mm-hmm. in. Originally, you know, I mean, there's, there's your show, which is awesome. Uh, and I was totally fishing there. No, <laughs> um, but your show has a very different feel, and you've got sure. a very different goal as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So, w- w- to focus on comedy and storytelling mm-hmm. in all forms, yeah. what was it? Well, the comedic t- storytelling thing. I mean, it's it's a marketing thing, really. But I mean, there's nothing more comedic about yarn than confabulation. I don't think you know. Like, it's not like the stories are funnier, and and I think it's in a way it was a, a way to sell it. I think that I think what sets it apart more is that they're not all true stories. I have fictional stories as well. I have people reading things, so it doesn't have to be hmm. uh, memorized or, or just told from your head. Um, so I think that's what gives it more of a more of a different feel. Um, yeah, I've been for a while um, working to get a panel discussion together on the podcast uh. to talk about this idea of truth in storytelling. I'd, I'd love to get yeah. your your take on it. I mean, how important is it to tell a true story? Well, I mean, I think it's the same goal in fiction or in nonfiction, and in, in that the emotional truth is what matters. You know, writing something that's emotionally true. Um, is really what's important. And let's say writing about things that happen to your life, uh, you get into really tricky discussions of what is truth and, and how do you define truth and things that you, something you remember from 10 years ago is obviously going to be distorted by time and by your experiences since then. So, um, you know, I think this notion of, of some kind of objective truth that exists outside of our own memories hmm. is really a fiction. Like, it, it, I don't think that really exists. So I don't, I don't, I don't feel any... 
kind of um, loyalty to facts necessarily as much as, al although a lot of what happens in the story is factually true as far as I can remember it, um, I, feel, I feel loyalty to the emotional truth mm. of, of the situation much more than the factual truth. And when you're talking about emotional truth, how it, how it felt to you at the time? Again, I don't know that I can necessarily conjure up how it felt to me at the time, how mm. I remember it felt to me at the okay. time. More importantly, how it would feel, it could feel to a human, how, how mm. I can relate to the, how me as a human being now can relate to the emotions then, how other people might be, that people can listen to it and say, hmm, yeah, that sounds like a person, you know, rather than... I don't think a person would do that. You I know? get that. I, I love those moments, and um, I, I certainly do see them in your storytelling. Mm -hmm. uh, at this really happened uh, uh, at Blue Met just this past season. Uh, you told another one of the stories that's going to be in the balding, and there's, I just remember that moment where everyone leaned in. Yeah, and I got to think that's the most rewarding. It really is. Yeah. yeah, it's it's quite a thing. I mean, we talked about the comedic storytelling, and and my stories are usually funny and and laughs. You know, when you're up there, you know, as you know. A laugh is like a concrete sign that people are listening and paying attention, you know, and into it. Uh, but yeah, that piece has some emotional moments, and mm. the show, the, the show overall, that where it isn't funny and it's not maybe not meant to be funny. And on stage, to be honest, like at, at the moment, I thought it was going well, but I, I'm just learning to kind of negotiate being on stage and feeling comfortable that I have people's attention, even if they're not laughing. Mm. Um, and that'll probably be especially hard when I do it in the theater because I won't be able to really see people's faces. It's true. Yeah, I'll have uh, to develop some kind of sixth sense where I can <laughs> just hear them. Yeah, everything they hear. Yeah. Has your um, experience? Because you've also done some work as an improviser yeah. as well. Has that furthered your storytelling? Is that oh, the in a huge way, really? I mean, I was talking about this yesterday, but it's on the one hand, it's completely different because what uh, my storytelling is all scripted and all memorized. Um, but improvising has taught me so much about creativity, the process of creativity mm -hmm. and storytelling. I mean, in terms of creativity, uh, just that moment when you're up there and like, you can't think, you know, thinking is like kind of the enemy of, of improv in a lot of mm -hmm. ways. Uh, just mm -hmm. that you have to, you know, react and be there. Not that I'm an expert improviser, but just the little bit I know of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and storytelling, I mean, I just learned so much about it. You know, I took a class specifically with, with Mark Rowland and, and Brent Skagford, a long-form narrative. Guys. Yeah, <laughs> a long-form narrative class. Um, and, you know, I have a degree in English literature. I teach English. I, dramatic structure is something I've thought about a lot, but I've never had it presented to me in that way before, in such a simple way about, again, what people respond to emotionally in a story and what all stories need. Um, and it's very simple, you know, and they, they explain it in a really simple way. So it's... It's helped my storytelling tremendously, mm. really. You, you mentioned your work as a teacher. Yeah. And I, as also a Seychelles teacher, um, have had... Did you say, oh, you said I as... I thought you said I... I, I let I me take I that again. I is a Seychelles teacher. I as a Seychelles English teacher. <laughs> um, so I'm also an English teacher mm. to college here in Montreal. And I have tried to bring in elements of what I do yeah. with fabulation and storytelling to yeah. the classroom. Have you had any more success than I have to this point? I brought it, like, again, improv has, you know, whenever I, I kind of uh, study under a good teacher, it affects my teaching, you know. Mm -hmm. So so Mark has been a really great teacher over the last little while. And I've used a lot of the improv, I've used some of the improv stuff in, in teaching storytelling, teaching, because I teach a feature writing class uh, where they have my students write, like, magazine articles. And, you know, anything you read is a story basically mm -hmm. even if it's a feature article so teaching them basic dramatic structure 
um, using some of the strategies that we learned in uh, in improv, just to break it down in such a simple way. Hmm. Yeah. All right. My, my last question is kind of a big one. Okay. Uh, because I need help with this one. I've been trying to explain to parents, uh, aunts and uncles, uh, people around the world who don't really get what I'm doing with storytelling right. or why it's important. I find I need to explain there's no druidic circles. We're not sitting in a circle cross leg. Not that there'd be anything wrong with that, yeah. but that there's this impression of it being this flaky kind of nothing thing. How, what do you think storytelling is an important act? Is this something that we should be exploring and promoting? And I think, why? I think the vast majority of the way we communicate every day is in stories. I mean, I think that's the main way that humans communicate with each other. I think that's how we convey information. I think that's how we pass down, you know, values. And I think it's, yeah, I think we're always telling stories. So I think, I think you're engaging in a very kind of primal and universal act that we perform all the time. It's always my hope with the, with the show that we become more aware of uh, the acts of storytelling that are happening in our everyday life when you're watching sure, yeah. a commercial even or yeah. when you're seeing something play out in front of you the way that we storify our lives yeah. even if we don't think about it. I'm so sad that storify is actually a thing now on the internet. Is storify it? a thing? Is that a word? Paul, yeah. can, I, can I get a fact check on that? Storify? <laughs> is storify a... I feel like that's See, a website. See, that seems to me like, a, like a, the act I, of storing your stories Yeah. <laughs> I will find out. I, yeah. I feel like storify is a website or an app. Who knows? I'm old. Who knows? But it's... Sto- I mean, <laughs> even just the word stories, I mean, who, you know, I think there's anyone in the world who doesn't love stories, you know? Um, Certainly not me. I mean, oh, what? Storify, make the web tell a story. Make yeah. the web tell a story? Yeah, a tell story. me a story, web. Listen, any story that the internet wants to tell me, I don't want to hear because it's either Facebook or pornography. Let's be serious. <laughs> pornography. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what are you doing? You're, giving, you're yeah. giving human beings a venue to share their life experiences and their emotions with other human beings that are willing to listen, which is a fabulous service, I think. I think that's a great way to, to, to a, a chance for you to look at your life differently or yeah. just to connect with people on a level that you wouldn't in your everyday life. To connect, you know, and, yeah. and to kind of share your vulnerabilities and your, you know, um, weaknesses and your triumphs and all the wonderful and terrible parts of being alive. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, speaking of vulnerabilities, uh, we should talk a little bit about your show, about the balding. Uh, do you want to give us a brief synopsis? Yeah, it's, uh, it's the story of a, man, a young man in his early 20s named Jeff who is uh, losing his hair. And he's also a virgin. And he uh, is convinced that he's losing his hair because he's a virgin. So he goes on a desperate quest to uh, lose his virginity, both because he wants to lose his virginity, but also to uh, arrest the terrifying hair loss process. <laughs> I uh, I have to say your your approach to talking about your I'm sorry to Jeff's approach to talking about himself as a 20 year old man yeah. is uh, I I find it, and I'm again biased I find it very charming I I immediately connect with it with yeah. this character he's a 20 year old man that we all can relate to I think especially as men yeah as men yeah <laughs> there's a really interesting uh, a thread about masculinity in the show sure yeah well yeah it's what it's do you think about masculinity <laughs> I love it no well, <laughs> <laughs> it's tough I mean I was talking about this uh, yesterday and 
it being a, like in your early 20s i don't know i found it a hard period you know it was fu- it was there was a lot of fun to it but, it but it's a difficult period everyone's telling you that this is the best time of your life this is the best time of your life and you're in the middle of this and you're like am i doing this right <laughs> is this the best time of my life and you know you i feel way more comfortable with myself you know in my 30s than i ever did in my 20s for sure yeah. i i think now it's so weird how much emphasis there is on high school and the teenage years and how awkward that period and that is an awkward period of sure life is, isn't yeah. it but i spent i spent a lot of of evenings as a 20 something alone in a bar yeah. looking at a girl who was with someone else and being mad at that yeah exactly exactly <laughs> yeah it was not as much fun to be around at 21 or 22 exactly yeah there's a lot of darkness involved in in that period there's a lot of darkness in the show i mean i think it's it's a comedy ultimately and and there's a lot of redeeming moments but um yeah there's there's a lot of is this just the guys things. that we hang around with that were then with that guy at the bar? Or I don't this, think so. This is a common male experience. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll conduct a poll. But <laughs> I, like, as an expert on masculinity. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a common male experience. I'll have to ask the really good-looking people. Oh, I hate those guys. <laughs> the cool guys from high school <laughs> who stayed cool after high school. There is a diminishing return on high school coolness at a certain point. Yeah. It gets you. It does. We're better now. Totally. Oh, thank you, Jeff. It's been a real pleasure having you on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on the podcast. The Remount of the Balding by Jeff Gandell premieres this Wednesday at Mainline Theater and runs straight through till Sunday, March 23rd. You can get more information and tickets at mainlinetheater.ca. For more information about Jeff Gandell, head over to yarnproductions.com. Confabulation, the podcast, is produced by Paula Flalo and hosted by Matt Goldberg. For more on Confabulation, you can check out confabulationmontreal.com or check us out on Facebook, the preferred social platform for everyone whose name is not Paula Flalo. Confabulation, the podcast, is distributed by No More Radio, available every week at nomoradio.com. Support for No More Radio comes from Montreal Improv. You can check them out at montrealimprov.com. 